Welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report for Friday the 29th of May. I'm Anthony Day. The theme of this episode is talking to the other side. How do we talk to the other side about the climate emergency? How do we find common ground? How do we get everyone working together? I spoke to Kevin Wilhelm, CEO of Sustainable Business Consulting in Seattle. I'm talking to Kevin Wilhelm, who, with Natalie Hoffman, is joint author of a book called How to Talk to the Other Side, Finding Common Ground in Times of Coronavirus, Recession and Climate Change. Now, I know the coronavirus and recession are very much at the forefront of our minds at the moment, but the climate change emergency has not gone away. Um, We really need to be able to talk to to the other side because there are people who are vested interests and there are people who are dogmatically opposed to the idea that climate change is a problem. So how do we talk to the other side, Kevin? Well, I think the, the biggest uh, issue that most people have is that they've, they've already set their mindset that they can't agree with um, somebody who may disagree with them. And when we talk about issues like climate change versus the economy, I mean, this has been going on, you know, for for decades, you yeah. know, all the way back to, you know, say in the, in the United States since 1987. But even if you think of the the first Earth Summit in Rio and the second one in South Africa, both times there was kind of a you know economic uncertainty that was going on globally. And um, politicians and business groups, you know, said, hey, we can't take action on this because it's going to hurt the economy. And the same mindset is starting to happen now. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, through my consulting work and what we laid out um, in this book is laid out dozens of examples of businesses that have made more money by uh, leaning into their climate change efforts because they've saved on energy, they've saved on water, they've saved on transportation costs, they've innovated new ways of delivering products and services. And you're even seeing it in the, in the financial markets. Um, you're seeing uh, ones where we've had you know record growth of the stock market for say the last ten years up until say February of this year, and even during that time, uh, those companies that were on say the Dow Jones Sustainability Index or the S and P 500's Environmental and Social Index outperformed the traditional indices, which were performing at record you know highs. And so there's this myth that you have to give up money or sacrifice to do the right thing environmentally and from a climate perspective. And what we wanted to do was really flip that notion on its head and show the examples of where it's win-win no matter your perspective or not. And so that, that's one way that we've used as an example to um, bring people from opposite sides because we feel like money is kind of like a nonpartisan issue. Like if, if you can make more money and I can make more money, then, then ideology somehow you know, falls away a little bit. Yeah, but then you've got the very big players, uh, particularly, well, in energy. And, you know, I'm going to talk about oil, I'm going to talk about coal. There is not a lot you can do 
uh, to change your business uh, to be environmentally responsible. It's just got to be, you know, you, you, you can't mine coal in an environmentally friendly way, or at least if you do, burning coal is not environmentally friendly. So right. those are the sorts of pressures that we've got to find common ground with, or at least we've got to convince them that we need change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, coal is a really difficult one. I, I like to look at kind of the entire fossil fuel industry as, as one area and then each of them a little separately. So if you think about it, you know, we used to call them oil companies. Now we call them energy companies. And that's because, you know, BP, Shell, um, even ExxonMobil realized that, you know, there was going to be a finite, you know, resource and the cost of getting to some of these places was going to be um, you know, really difficult. And so as you've seen, oil prices come way down. Oh, yes. Um, the, the more extreme places like the tar sands or the deep ocean off of Brazil just make no longer make financial sense. Yeah. And so they've had to shift because wind and solar power have become cost competitive. And so you've seen these, these what were traditional oil companies switch to become energy companies because they realized they could still provide energy in a different way. And we've also seen a number of um, uh, energy companies that have switched from coal to natural gas, um, A, because natural gas is cleaner, but mostly because it's cheaper right now um, with all the um, the fracking that's been going on. And so there's been this shift and it's been mostly market driven, even though there's been, it's been played out like the environmentalists are the ones killing the coal industry. Now the coal industry in and of itself, yes, it is it's a dying breed and, um, and it's a, it's a dying beast. And one of the things that, um, you know, we go out of our way in this book is say, you can't just let communities and whole ways of life just die. You have to reach out and find ways that you can make their lives better. So if you can, there's a couple of, of examples in our book where in the coal country of the United States, where there's been movement by organizations to go into these communities and find them higher paying jobs, you know, taking their skills to use as miners and retraining them to be solar technicians or wind power technicians. Um, and so you're, you're automatically giving them a job so they have their livelihood. The tax base is the same that goes to the um, to their community. But all of their like the black lung disease and all the, the health problems can can melt away. And and so it's it's kind of a generational shift. Um, but it's, so that, that one's a hard one, but you know, we've seen that it happened in the aerospace industry in the nineties when the cold war ended, you know, they took defense contractors and retrained them. And then you had explosions in direct TV and the dish network and GPS and all these commercially viable companies grew out of it, um, by retraining defense contractors. And I think we can do the same thing in the fossil fuel industry. And do you see the market doing that, or do you think that government is needed to actually push this forward? Oh, I, I definitely think there uh, government needs to um, to help. Um, I think the market is is already kind of made its decision on coal. It's 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 not coming back. I mean, there's been uh, over you know 85 different coal companies just in the United States that have gone bankrupt in the last three years. I mean, there's there's probably you're in the UK. There's probably more people that work at McDonald's in the United in the United Kingdom than work in the coal industry in the United States now. But it's um, I mean, there's actually there's a stat that I have in the book where there's 
There's more people that work at the Arby's fast food restaurant chain than the coal industry in the United States, but we're not giving bailouts to Arby's in Ropeef. Um, <laughs> but government does need to be a play, and it and it's got to be you know like any transition, you know, um, you have to find a way where you can't just abandon a community and a way of life and just expect things to get better because then you're going to have the societal costs that you're seeing of opioid addiction and, you know, unemployment and all of the crime and everything that can happen. So they have to lean in and uh, play, play that kind of temporary role during that transition um, to attract a market that'll, you know, regrowth, you know, that, that area of the economy. Right. Well, from where I'm standing, your national government certainly doesn't seem to be doing much in that direction. But then again, you've got a different structure. Maybe it's your, your state governments which uh, are, are leading this sort of initiative. Some states and a lot of nonprofit organizations. Um, yeah, I, I certainly I know your your reach of your podcast is international. And as someone who was a, has been a proud American their whole life, these last three years have been incredibly difficult to to talk with my international friends, you know, and because uh, we're not leading anymore. In fact, we're doing the opposite of leading. We're making things so much worse at the federal level. But what you're seeing is states and and businesses are are leaning into things and so when the um united states pulled or when our trump administration and you know announced that they were going to pull out of the paris climate accord states and big businesses stepped up and said we're still in and there was enough uh big business and states that would actually be able to reduce the emissions and committed to reducing the emissions. So it doesn't matter if the federal government isn't aligned because the emissions from the United States um, can still meet the Paris Climate Accord. Um, and so, it, you know, it's one of these things where we're all kind of having to find ways around kind of where the blockages are and for other, and I think it's a, it can actually be a good model for developing countries or other countries where they may not be seeing the the ideas around kind of the opportunity around climate change only the negative aspects of it and i think that if if a company like the or if a country say like the uk just decided overnight like we're going to be the leader in uh green technology and we're going to massively change our whole way of of life there would be an economic explosion on that because somebody's going to win that race it's just no nobody's really committed to it yeah Yes, yes, I'd certainly like to see that sort of thing happen. Yeah. Um, tell me, um, who is your book aimed at? Uh, the general reader, business, government, or, or, or what? You know, that's a, a great question, Anthony, because um, it's it's really put out for the general public, but it, it, it is, it's got multiple audiences. Basically, because in... In our country, and I think in every country, there are quote sides. You know, and you know, there's you've got labor, you've got conservatives. In our country, you've got Republicans and Democrats, but you've also got people who how they break down by religion, by geographical location, by rural versus urban. And so, what we tried to do was we picked uh, six different kind of examples of quote other sides where you know you hear about it in the popular media and social media where people are kind of at, and we tried to write very much a neutral book right down the center it was saying here are opportunities to find common ground with people who you may think are on the other side but are just like you everyone wants 
you know, to be healthy. They want their kids to grow up safe. They want better, you know, education. They want better opportunities. Um, they want to have a good job and they want to be able to retire. And so by starting with these kind of shared aspirations and where you can find common ground, what gets everyone all caught up is the how they're doing it. And that's where the, the politics and the, um, you know, the media craze kind of, you know, messes it all up. And what we try and do is show the win-win examples that work for both sides and ways to kind of lower the temperature of the conversation so that you can have, you know, a productive path forward. Right. We are living in difficult times at the moment, to say the least. But taking an overall view, would you then say that you are optimistic? You know, uh, put it this way. If, had you asked me in February before this global pandemic, I, I, I would have said I would have said yes. Um, right now, I would say I am cautiously optimistic because I think um, one of the things that the reason we, we wrote this book right now to be very contemporary with the pandemic and the recession was we wanted it to be very real. We didn't want to put out something that's pie in the sky. And well, that'd be great. But, you know, mm -hmm. if we're 25 percent unemployment, what are you going to do? So we really leaned into that and said, even in these economic times, what you're seeing is people are 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 longing for community. They're longing for their connections. They, they're they're busy rat race day-to-day -day lives that they had been doing. They're now taking a step back and going, wait, where where do I want to be spending my money? Where do I want to be spending my time? How do I want to be living? And I think there's been a, a bit of a kind of a cultural awakening of people wanting to to buy local, to shop from their local restaurants, to to, you know, save save their money and if they're gonna spend it, spend it on something that's gonna help their neighbor or their friend who has a small business. And I think that that gives me optimism as well as, you know, my firm, Sustainable Business Consulting, we've been, you know, consulting for, you know, 15 years with over 160 global clients. And the idea of telling someone that all their employees tomorrow are gonna to work from home and they're gonna stop all business travel and it's gonna be great for the planet, that would fall on deaf ears. And what we've seen is now in a matter of two months, companies that would have never changed their mindset have been forced to change their mindset. And we're gonna see, you've already seen global carbon emissions come down 17%, but for a lot of our, our clients, you know, a, a third of their emissions may have come from business travel. Mm -hmm. And you know, if, if, we, if this pandemic continues for another couple months, people are gonna be so used to virtual conferencing and, and doing things remotely that um, it gives us a fighting chance to do these things. And same thing with commuting, you know, um, we, I literally was having a conversation with a client the day before the kind of COVID-19 hit in Seattle and was telling them, like, you know, 33% of your emissions come from your commuting. If you just, you know, and I was trying very low, like if you just tried to work from home one day a week, you know, you could cut yeah. those emissions by 20%. And they were like, we can't do it. That's not how our business works. <laughs> and within two weeks, 100% of the workforce is working remotely. And so I, that gives me optimism because it, it breaks the mindset of what is possible. And I think if we can come out with some lessons learned and some new ways of doing things, I, I, I am actually a little bit optimistic. Well, that's great. It's it's great to have uh, a positive message. It really is. Kevin, your book is out now, I think. Yes, it is. Um, okay. uh, it's it's, uh, it's uh, on, on sale on Amazon and, um, and also on the Kindle. 
Right. Oh, OK. So all and all good bookshops, no doubt. Well, thank you yeah. very much for sharing your ideas. That's, that's interesting. As I say, it's also always great to have uh, a positive message on a Friday. So uh, thank you very much indeed. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. That was Kevin Wilhelm, CEO of Sustainable Business Consulting of Seattle, Washington State. As he said, how to talk to the other side, finding common ground amongst COVID, recession and climate change is now available at your favourite bookshop. If you've already listened to this week's other episode, you'll know that we have a new patron. Welcome to newest patron Pamela McAllister over there in Queensland, Australia. I was going to say you're our first patron in Australia, but in fact that distinction goes to Colin Clark, who's near Canberra in the Australian Capital Territory. Many thanks to Pamela McAllister, Colin Clark and all other patrons who helped to make the Sustainable Futures Report possible. And a special mention to Imogen Littlejohns, my longest standing patron. Special thanks to you. And that's it for this week. That's the fourth episode in two weeks, so I make no promises for next week. Although, given that Friday the 5th is World Environment Day, I suppose I should do something. Anyway, you can be sure that I'm Anthony Day, and there will be another episode of the Sustainable Futures Report. Thank you.